Chapter 16. The Social Tithe The social tithe was given to the Levites for the service that they performed for the congregation. Numbers 18, 20-24 The services that they performed were not confined to what we would today call religious. In the Hebrew language, there is no word for religion because every area of life and thought was circumscribed and ruled by the word of God. Thus, for Israel, all of life was the practice of religion, since all of life was to be ruled by God. This means that the services that the Levites performed were far more encompassing than merely providing services at the tabernacle or at the temple. The Levites, for example, were educators for people, civil authorities, and the congregation at large. Leviticus 10.11, Deuteronomy 17.18, 31 9 33.10, 2 Chronicles 17.7-9, Nehemiah 8.9. Composers, Musicians and Singers, 1 Chronicles 15, 16-24, 25, 1-7. Officers and Judges, 1 Chronicles 23, 4, 26, 29-32, 2 Chronicles 19, 8-11, and the like. Their duties were not confined to church ritual or service. Moreover, the Levites were not synonymous with the church in Israel. In Scripture, the church is the body of believers or the congregation of the Lord. The only pos possible institutional church in Scripture would have been the tabernacle and the temple, both of which were primarily supported by the tithe of the tithe, not the social tithe. The Levites were not the church, but simply one tribe of all the tribes that composed the assembly of saints, which is the true church. Hence, we can understand that the social tithe did not go to an institutional church for specific religious services. It was to be used primarily as payments for social services rendered to the theocracy by the tribe of Levi. Although the Levites had no inheritance of land in Israel, since God was their part in their inheritance, Numbers 18.20, they were not to be poverty-stricken. The belief that the Levites were ministers of God's word in any age should reveal their piety by their poverty is ungodly. The tribe of Levi should have been quite wealthy, since they were to receive the largest average percentage of each year's increase. To understand this, we must remember that there were 12 tribes in Israel, counting the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, other than the tribe of Levi. Since the Levites were to receive one-tenth of all the produce of these 12 tribes, this tribe would actually receive, on a tribal basis, 20% more than the average for the other 12 tribes. In addition, if any tithe of the land or trees was redeemed by the taxpayer, then 20% had to be added to the original value of, of the seed or fruit, and then this total sum given to the Levites. Leviticus 27, 30-33. Thus, the minimum percentage which the tribe of Levi would receive from the yearly harvest would be 20% greater than the average return of the remaining tribes. Also, no man could change or make substitutions for the tithe of his flocks and herds. If he attempted to do so, he was to pay both the tithe and the substitution to the Levites. The rationale for this is that the newborn animals were worth only a small portion of their potential value when given as tithes. Their value would increase year by year as they grew to maturity on the plots of land possessed by the Levites. Thus, an attempt to change such animals was simply an attempt to rob God. Therefore, the man who made such an attempt was denied both his tithe animal and its proposed substitution. The principle here is that value for value is to be given, whether that value is potential or actual.
The fact that the Levites were to receive the largest average percent return on each yearly harvest brings out two important principles. First, the Levites were not the poor of Israel. Their lot in life was not to be one of poverty and misery. They were to be the more wealthy members of society. Therefore, we can understand that the social tithe was not for the relief of the poor. That was the function of the poor tithe. The social tithe and the poor tithe were established by God for different purposes, and they are not to be confused one with the other. Second, the services that the Levites provided the theocracy were to be profitable for both them and the congregation. The payments that they received for these services were as, quote, though it were the corn of the threshing floor, and as the fullness of the winepress. Numbers 18.27 Thus the tribe of Levi was to be a profitable, profit-making tribe. The returns that they received from their services were no different in principle than the returns that the other Israelites received from their lands, trees, herds, and flocks. Simply because God was their inheritance, and capital rather than the farm and pasture land of Israel, does not mean that the tribe of Levi was to be non-profit. Their capital was the Lord and his word. Numbers 18.20 The payments for the services that they rendered to the community were the return or profit on this capital, because no individual or society can be fruitful apart from their having knowledge of and adhering to the word of God. Hosea 4.6 The services that the Levites rendered were the foundation of all prosperity in Israel. Hence, the Levites were to receive a greater portion of every harvest because their responsibility to both man and God was greater. Since this tribe was to receive a greater percentage return or profit than the average of the other tribes, we can understand that the Levites were actually more profit-gathering than the other tribes. Thus, we can understand that the Levites were to be neither poor nor non-profit. They were to be affluent, profit-reaping members of the theocracy of Israel. The belief that the institutional church and the social services that Christian ministers, educators, etc. provide should be non-profit stems from two basic pagan beliefs. First, it has been a generally accepted belief that asceticism is the means by which man is to achieve a higher and holier life. Such a view is damned by scripture. Neither riches nor poverty can elevate a man to righteousness. Only the work of Christ can justify us before God, and only our obedience to his law by faith can sanctify us. The only way that man can achieve a higher and holier life is through Christ and his word. Second, our age sees profit as ungodly, which it is not. A non-profit world is a static, unchanging, and dead world. Only where men can make profits and reinvest them for further development of both man and his world is progress possible. The whole concept of non-profit is satanic, for God created man to have dominion and subdue the world to the glory of God. Man can only achieve this end as he continually reaps and reinvests his increase from every area of life and thought. The desire of man to create a non-profit world is the desire to escape his dominion responsibility. Genesis 1, 26-28 It is the desire to create a world without God, a world without change, a world without beginning or end. The fact that the Levites were to be affluent profit-reaping members of society should make us recognize that neither ascetic or anti-profit beliefs are scripturally based. It should lay to rest the worldly concept that poverty is synonymous with piety. It should make us realize that anti-profit beliefs are anti-scripture and anti-God. In scripture, all individuals, families, associations, etc. 
are to develop the earth to the glory of God. They are all to be profit-reaping, profit-reinvesting enterprises for the purpose of fulfilling the cultural mandate. We can see by this that the rendering of the social tithe for services performed is not to be confined to our modern non-profit institutions. Simply because a Christian school, for example, is geared to making a profit does not mean it cannot receive the tithe. If such a school provides a godly education in terms of the Word of God, then it is providing a Levitical function and can be given the social tithe. Godly profit-making Christian enterprises that are providing a Levitical function are worthy recipients of the social or Levitical tithe. There are juridical principles incorporated in this tithe which establish the purposes for which this tithe may be used. No person, for example, can pay the social tithe to himself. It does not matter whether he is a Christian educator, minister, or the like. This tithe cannot be used to capitalize oneself. This can be understood from the fact that the Israelites were required to pay the social tithe to the Levites, who, in turn, were required to pay the tithe of the social tithe they had received to the high priest. Numbers 18, 20-32 Neither the Israelites nor the Levites were allowed by Scripture to capitalize themselves by this tax. This tax is to be used to capitalize others regardless of whether our occupation or business is in the area of Christian service or not. One point does need to be clarified in regard to the fact that this tithe cannot be used to capitalize ourselves. It is held by some that, because this tithe cannot be used by anyone for their own capitalization, parents cannot use this tax to pay for their children's education. The reasoning behind this opinion centers upon the assumption that since the child is being capitalized, so must the parents also become capitalized. Such reasoning stems from the assumption that the child's responsibility is to care for his parents in their old age. This requires that the child have a good income, which in turn is dependent upon his having a good education. Such an education, of course, is dependent upon the parents financing it. The parents, then, are capitalizing themselves when they provide their child with a good education because this education is simply their old age insurance or retirement program. Thus, it is believed that parents cannot educate their children by the use of the social tithe, since they would be capitalizing themselves for their old age. This reasoning cannot be faulted. What can be faulted is the presupposition upon which such reasoning is based. The assumption that the parents cannot finance their child's education rests upon a presupposition in regards to the parent-child relationship that does not exist in Scripture. That presupposition is that the child is the property of his parents. This can be deduced from the belief of the parents that the child's function is to capitalize them. The truth is that the, those parents who hold to this presupposition tend to view their child as they view all other property. The child is simply another capital investment or property that should be carefully nurtured and watched in order to get the largest possible return from the po smallest possible expenditure. This view of the parent-child relationship is pagan. Scripture does not see the parents as the owners of their children. Children are a gift of God. Psalm 127, 3-5 The parents are merely stewards who are to care for their children in terms of the covenant that God has established with his people. From the, from the day that a child is born, he is to be reared with the assumption that he is the Lord's, and that he, that he will leave, quote, his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife. Genesis 2.24 Scripture sees children as carrying on the ongoing responsibility of establishing dominion and of subduing the earth, which is the legacy of their parents. For this reason, the child is not to capitalize his parents, but is to be capitalized by them.
quote, For the children ought not to lay up for their parents, but the parents for the children. 2 Corinthians 12, 14, Deuteronomy 21, 15-17 Every culture that believes that the child must lay up for his parents has invariably become static and dead. It does so because no capital of any sort, whether intellectual, spiritual, or material, is progressively enlarged with each succeeding generation. Instead, each generation sees itself as having the right to live off its children, which are its future. The result is a decline of such cultures into the black pit of moral apostasy, material poverty, and social despair. But those cultures, which were once evident in Western civilization, that have held to the biblical principle that the parents are to lay out for their children, have tended to progress in every area of life and thought. Such progress is possible because each succeeding generation sees itself as stewards of their intellectual, spiritual, and material capital, which is to be enlarged and passed on to their children. Each generation sees profit in every area of life and thought as a godly object which can be used to further dominion and the subduing of the earth. Progress can only be possible when the parents, as a religious imperative, lay up for their children in every area of life and thought. It is true that under extraordinary circumstances a child is to care and provide for his parents, 1 Timothy 5.8. But this is not normative, nor is it the presupposition upon which parents are to view their children. The parents are to see their children as belonging to God, who are to carry on the dominion responsibility that their parents have wrought in God. Parents are not to see their children as being capitalized for their sakes, but for the further development of the kingdom of God. For this reason, parents can use the social tithe to finance their children's education. Such education is not for the purpose of capitalizing the parents, but is for the purpose of enlarging the kingdom of God on earth. Moreover, it should be understood that this tithe is not being paid to the child. The child renders no service and is therefore ineligible to receive the social tithe. This tithe goes not to the child, but to the educational institution and its staff which instructs the child. Hence, we can understand that this tithe capitalizes financially the educators who, in turn, capitalizes the child morally and intellectually. Since the educational institution and its staff are capitalized financially from the payment of this tithe, they must pay the tithe of this tithe. But the child does not, since he neither renders a service nor is capitalized financially. This principle holds true regardless of whether the child is 5 or 50. If the person who attends seminary, for example, has the social tithe paid directly to him rather than to the institution that he attends, he need not pay the tithe of this tithe. He is simply acting as a steward or middleman for the payment of this tithe to the seminary and its staff. The seminary and its staff are required to pay the tithe on the funds that they receive from the student. The fact that the Levites had to tithe on the tithes that they received establishes a juridical principle that the institutional church and other organizations have long ignored. That principle is that no one is exempt from the payment of the tithes. It does not matter what a person's occupation is or whether a business or association is profit or non-profit, charitable or not. No one is exempt from paying God his due. The only persons who are exempt from the tithes in the Old Testament were the high priest and his family. They were exempt because it was through the office of the high priest that God ruled Israel. But that office is now filled with a new mediator, even Christ, who intercedes before the Father on our behalf. And just as the faithful of old paid the tithes under the old high priest, so must we pay God his due under our new high priest. 
No man, woman, or child is exempt from this tax. All must pay all three tithes on all their increase. From the foregoing, we can discern three general principles in regard to the tithe. One, that no one who is an increase is exempt from the payment of this tax. Two, that the Levitical tithe can be used only to capitalize others and not ourselves. Three, that any person or business, whether profit, non-profit, charitable or not, can be given this tithe if they fulfill a Levitical function. These principles mean that virtually every family and organization must pay this tax since nearly everyone has some form of increase on capital. Also, no one can be isolated from society since everyone must pay this tax to others within society rather than to themselves. Furthermore, the Levitical principle is the agent that binds the various elements of society together in a common purpose. The Levitical principle that bound the tribes together in ancient Israel was the law of God. This is true because there can be no community between the various elements of society apart from a common law and faith. Law is really living religion. Whoever is our God will make the rules or laws by which we shall live. The obedience to these laws in our lives is our living out our religious faith. Thus, our obedience to law reveals our religious faith as to who is our Lord. Matthew 7:15-20. If man makes the rules or laws by which he shall live, then man is his own God. Under such an arrangement, community between the various elements of society becomes impossible. It becomes impossible because each man sees his laws or rules as normative and binding upon all other men. Since each man is his own God, each man will attempt to be lord over all other men. This leads to conflicts among all men and classes of society. Hence, instead of society being an area of community, it becomes the arena of conflict and hatred. If, on the other hand, God establishes the laws by which men are to live, then man is only a creature of God who is to live in accordance to the word of God. Every man then sees himself not as a lawmaker for creation, but as a lawkeeper in creation. Every man has a common law based upon a common faith in the God of Scripture. Thus, the various elements of society are brought together into a harmony of interests through obedience to the law or word of God. Every member of society has a common purpose and goal, since every member of society has a common law and faith. This latter condition was the function of the Levites. This tribe was to be the agency by which this one law and one faith could be impressed upon the many tribes of the theocracy. This is why they had no inheritance in the land. Their inheritance and their part was God, which means, of course, that their inheritance was the law or word of God. For the Levites, the law of God was their capital and inheritance, just as the land was the capital and inheritance of other tribes. Just as the other tribes were to develop their lands, so were the Levites to further the word of God. Their purpose was to expound the law of God in every area of life and thought throughout all Israel. By so doing, they would establish a common law and faith among all members and elements of society. In ancient Israel, no area of life was to be non-religious, since all of life was to be circumscribed and ruled by the law. Since the Levites were to be the custodians of God's word, because it was their inheritance, they were to be the educators for the theocracy of the law of God. They were to be the tribe that was to develop the implications of the law in every area of society. For example, they were to develop the implications of the law in regards to music in order that man could expound the glories of God, quote, with harps, with psalteries, and with cymbals. 1 Chronicles 25.1 
This is why the tribe of Levi was composed of educators to the people, to the civil authorities, and to the congregation at large. Leviticus 10.11, Deuteronomy 17.18, 31, 9-13, 33.10, 2 Chronicles 17.7-9, Nehemiah 8.9. Composers, musicians, singers, 1 Chronicles 15.16-24, 25.1-7, officers and judges, 1 Chronicles 23, 4, 26-29-32, 2 Chronicles 19, 8 through 11 medical practitioners, Leviticus 13, 15, and much more. No area was to be exempt from the work of the Levites, because no area of life was to be separated from the law of God. Thus, the Levites were to develop the principles of the law in every area, which would, in turn, bring a common law and faith to every segment of every tribe. In addition, every member of every tribe would participate with the Levites in this function, since they would finance it by payment of the social tithe. This, in turn, would reinforce in their minds the principle that God ruled every area of life and thought. It would force them to understand that God, and God alone, establishes a harmony of interests among all the diverse elements and classes of society. The payment of the social tithe by the Israelites, and the tithe of this tithe by the Levites, was for the purpose of establishing the juridical principle of lordship upon their hearts and minds. The payment of this tithe forced every member of society to recognize that God created, preserves, and furthers all of creation by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 The purpose, then, of the social tithe is to reinforce upon the heart and mind of man the juridical principle that God alone is Lord and creator of man, his society, and his world. The principles incorporated in the social tithe are as binding upon man today as they were in ancient Israel. Therefore, we can understand that we are to use this tax to capitalize those who are developing the implications of God's law in every area of life and thought. We are to see this tax as one of the means by which the Lordship of Christ can be proclaimed over every segment of society. The payment of the Levitical tithe is one of the means by which we can come to know and glorify God and enjoy Him forever.